Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Isn't the Lord good? I said, isn't the Lord good? Kyle, come on up here to my left over here real quick. Not only was Kyle baptized in the water for the remission of sins in the name of Jesus, but he was also baptized with the Holy Spirit and it spoke in other tongues. How's that shoulder? God's healing his shoulder too. Touching him physically. Amen. Let's clap our hands to the Lord again. Glory! <laughs> Thank you, brother. Thank you. Just said he's never been able to lift it up that high. Amen. Come on, God's healing him. Now, you want to talk about a complete work. Baptism in the name of Jesus. Speaking in tongues and healing is show. I'm telling you, when God does a work, He does it right. Hallelujah. Kyle, I do have to warn you, there are going to be side effects. You're going to have joy unspeakable and full of glory. You're going to have peace that passes understanding. I don't know if you can handle that or not, but that's going to be the side effects. Amen. God bless you. Hallelujah. If you have your Bibles, would you join me in the book of Acts chapter 9? I want you to know that are here, but even those watching and maybe listening later in the archive and the, uh, you know, other ways and methods of which listening, podcasts, whatever, we don't plan these things. I didn't give Kyle the Holy Ghost. Amen. I, I physically was the one that, that buried him in that water, but it wasn't in my name. It was in the name of Jesus. I just prayed for him. God healed his shoulder. Others were praying for him. So nobody gets the credit except the Lord Jesus Christ. I say that to say what I'm about to preach, God planned it. <laughs> God planned it. Acts chapter 9, verse 1. And Saul, yet breathing out threatenings and slaughter against the disciples of the Lord, went unto the high priest and desired of him letters to Damascus, to the synagogues, that he, if he found any of this way, whether they were men or women, he might bring them bound unto Jerusalem. And as he journeyed, he came near Damascus, and suddenly there shined round about him a light from heaven. And he fell to the earth, and he heard a voice unto him, saying, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? And the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you persecute. It is hard for you to kick against the pricks. I want to just simply borrow Paul's words as my title for today. Who are you, Lord? Hallelujah. Father, your word is anointed. Now I pray you would anoint your servant to speak, that my uh, tongue be the pen of a ready writer, and write your word on our hearts that we might obey it in Jesus' name. Everybody said amen. amen. You may be seated. Praise the Lord. One encounter with Jesus is enough to transform your life forever. I heard Brother Kyle just a moment ago standing here as they were singing that song. And doing that little bridge, I'm not turning back. And he's saying those words as he's praying and speaking in tongues. Hallelujah. Amen. Because one encounter with Jesus turns mistakes into miracles, pain into purpose, and turmoil into testimony. You can repent. 
and be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ today, just like Kyle did. You can receive the gift of the Holy Spirit and speak with other tongues as the Spirit gives utterance, just like Kyle did. Why? Because today is the day of salvation. Now is the accepted time. You can be forgiven. You can be delivered. You can be healed. You can have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ today. Now, Saul, who also is called Paul, eventually wrote 13 epistles. And he would explain his pedigree in Philippians 3. And he says these words. This is, of course, after his encounter with Jesus circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee concerning zeal, persecuting the church, that zeal you talked about, Minister Kennedy in our Ironman breakfast, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But he did not know the Lord. You see, with all of his pedigree, Saul really did not know God. He was practicing a religion about God, but he had no relationship with God. Saul loved the law, but Saul didn't know the Lord. That is, until he had an encounter with Jesus. Because of this encounter, Paul would also go on to write in Philippians, but what things were gained to me, verse 7, those I counted lost for Christ. In other words, all that pedigree he just talked about, I counted as loss. Yea, doubtless I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord. Notice how personal he makes it. Earlier, he's saying, who are you, Lord? And when he's writing this, he's saying, he's my Lord. I've had a personal encounter with him. Amen. His pedigree meant nothing to him outside of a genuine relationship with Jesus Christ. And once he experienced his encounter with Jesus, all that mattered to him, and we can, if you kept reading in Philippians there, you would note that he would say, I want to know him in the fellowship of his sufferings and the power of his resurrection. In other words, that's all that matters to me. I just want to know him and be known of him, and that's all that matters. Praise God. So not only did Saul think he knew the Lord, he thought he was doing right. He had zeal for what he was doing. But when God spoke to him, when God knocked him flat on his face and said, you're persecuting, you're, you're, you're kicking against the pricks, I'm the one you're persecuting. And he says, who are you, Lord? When he heard what he had to do, Saul obeyed the gospel. It's not enough to ask, who are you, Lord? It's not enough to be told the gospel. You have to act on it. The reason Saul could write that he counted everything as dung that he might win Christ was because he had obeyed the gospel. When you have an encounter with Jesus, I want you to catch this. Jesus will not force you to obey the gospel. And the Bible is replete with examples of this. The rich young ruler, Jesus didn't chase after him, grab him by the arm and say, no, please wait, please, I'll compromise the message for you, or please wait, I'll force you in to do it. He didn't do any of that. He let him leave. Judas Iscariot, 
He let him betray. The thief on the cross that did not repent, he let him die in his sin. Demas forsook the Lord, having loved this present world. Alexander the coppersmith, and I could keep going, but the point is, God's never going to force anybody to obey the gospel. In fact, the Bible says, no man comes to the Father except the Spirit draw him. And so when the Spirit starts drawing, it's up to the recipient of that drawing to obey. But God will not force that on anybody, nor will we. Oh yeah, I want, I want people to be baptized. I'd love nothing more than to baptize 42 people in one service. I'd love it. I think it'd be awesome. But I'm not going to force anybody to do so. Amen. Yet in the case of Saul, when he heard what he had to do, he obeyed immediately. He had a repentant spirit. He had a humble spirit. So we can, we can definitely extract from his experience in Acts 9 that he repented. I don't think anybody would argue that with me because we know from his spirit of humility, his spirit of obedience, he's blinded, literally blind in his eyes. God says, here's what we're going to do. And God talks to a man by the name of Ananias, a, a disciple there in Damascus, and tells him, hey, go and uh, go talk to Saul. I've called him, and I'm going to do a work in him. Now, Ananias does what any one of us would have done. Are you sure? This man kills people. But when God reaffirmed to Ananias what he was doing, watch what Ananias does. When he goes to Saul's house, in faith, he calls him Brother Saul. Oh, let me tell you. Why? Because he had a feeling that there was about to be an encounter. And when Saul heard the message, he was baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Hallelujah! Now, book of Acts chapter 9 does not say that Paul spoke with tongues in that exact moment or in those words. However, we know from evidence of what Paul wrote in the book of 1 Corinthians where he said that do not forbid any to speak in tongues and that he thanked God that he spoke in tongues more than everyone else. We know then that Paul spoke in tongues. But allow me to give you just a little bit of more evidence. This same Saul or Paul is on the coast of Ephesus in Acts chapter 19. And when he meets some of John's disciples and tells them the gospel, they are baptized and they speak with tongues. Amen. We also know that Paul wrote the book of Galatians and he said if he or an angel from heaven were to preach any other gospel, let him be accursed. Therefore, I believe Saul spoke with tongues tongues as the Spirit gave him the utterance. Furthermore, everyone that was born again in the book of Acts, everyone that has been born again since Acts chapter 2 in an upper room has spoke in tongues as the Spirit gives them utterance. Hallelujah. And Scripture cannot be broken and God cannot lie. Therefore, Paul spoke with tongues as the Spirit gave him the utterance. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Your Honor, I rest my case. <laughs> but not only did Saul think he knew the Lord and realize he didn't, not only did he humble himself and obey the gospel, but Saul 
shared his testimony and preached Jesus Christ. Now there's only a handful of people here, literally five or six maybe, seven or eight max, that are called to the pulpit preaching kind of ministry in this building. Possibly even that same ratio of those watching online. Why? Because we don't need a house full of all just a bunch of preachers. Right? However, all of us are preachers in the sense that we have a testimony to share. And so even if you can't relate with Saul becoming an apostle to the Gentiles and being a preacher, you can relate to Saul sharing his testimony. Because you have your own Acts chapter 9 personal experience testimony. Where you heard the gospel, where you humbled yourself and obeyed it, and now you have the opportunity to share it. We know if you read on in Acts chapter 9, amen, verse 20, and straightway he preached Christ. I love it. Saul, he didn't wait. He's like, you know what? I've got to tell somebody what he's done for me. Let me tell you about the goodness of God. Amen. In verse 22, he, he began to continue to teach and preach, and he said, proving that this, being Jesus, is the very Christ. Amen. At the end of 27, it says he preached boldly in the name of Jesus. Verse 29, he spoke boldly in the name of the Lord Jesus. Hallelujah. Saul would share his testimony of his encounter with Jesus, with the religious and the political leaders as recorded in Acts chapter 22 and Acts chapter 26. Now we know for certain that the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the rulers of the law, heard his testimony. We know for certain that a governor named Felix and a king named Agrippa heard his testimony of Jesus Christ. We know that God told him to go to Rome and that there were people along the way and on the ship that heard the testimony of Jesus Christ. And I believe that it's very highly probable that Caesar himself heard the testimony of Jesus Christ. While I can't come to a verse and tell you that it says Caesar heard, I can come to a verse where it says there were saints in Caesar's household right under the nose of a wicked ruler, right under the nose of an evil emperor was saints inside of his household. I can also tell you from the book of Philippians that the entire imperial guard who was chained to Paul for two years heard the gospel message in other words, everywhere he went and everybody he met, he shared the testimony of Jesus Christ. He didn't wait for a pulpit to open. He shared it in jail cells. He shared it in homes. He shared it on the, the beaches, wherever he was. He shared the gospel testimony of Jesus Christ. And so before our testimonies this morning that we have, Brother Donnie, if you'd get ready coming first before our testimonies I have two questions if you have not obeyed the gospel will you do so today like our good brother Kyle amen and if you have obeyed it already to whom are you sharing it with amen that's my two questions I hope you can answer them in the Holy Ghost amen we've got three testimonies and then I'm gonna uh, Close with something the Lord's given me. So, Brother Donnie, if you'd come in Jesus' name. Amen. It's hot and live. <laughs> it is on. Here we go. All right. So, we have heard many testimonies of salvation and deliverance. 
and I was reluctant to give a testimony as my salvation story is honestly kind of straightforward. So instead, I wanted to speak of one of perseverance, endurance, and a made-up mind. <laughs> this is kind of a repeat, um, as Kara's testified to this in the past, um, and this is a shared struggle, and so I figured I would speak to it this time. Kara and I started trying for a child seven years. <laughs> wow, I did not think that would hit me that hard. Um, started trying for a child seven years ago. And for anyone who knows us, as of today, we're still childless. Things were normal at first, figure it was just taking a bit longer. However, after a year, we started down the path of, water guys are making this hard to read, of visiting, visiting doctors and figuring out what we needed to do. Timeline gets a busy, bit fuzzy, but eventually Kara is diagnosed with an underlying issue. While theoretically we can, it can cause infertility issues, typically it just makes things take a bit longer. Also, unfortunately, this is something you can't just ignore. Um, it does come with physical ailments as well. Eventually, it is determined surgery is needed and we go through a surgery number one. Everything is cleaned up, tested, and all should be good. Informed our best chance is the next six months. Those six months come and go. Not only was it unsuccessful, but I had to be a pillar of strength for my wife. Month after month after month, while I can confidently say that we weathered this storm together pretty well, now I'll be good, I'll use my hands. <laughs> um, together pretty well, it was still heartbreaking to watch the disappointment hit every month, building her back up to be brutally crushed all over again. You start to question God, asking why, obviously, which leads to internal reflection. Do I have a hidden sin in my life? Do I need to fix something first? Are you trying to show us something? You end up looking for whatever you can in your life that you can correct to make it not the issue. During this time, we had taken a break from doctors a few different times, actually, putting faith in God. While this was going on, it started to become no secret that we were having issues conceiving. Ladies sensitive to the issue would come up to Kara, informing them in private about her being pregnant. Much appreciated, by the way. Um, but it was still hard to watch the disappointment each time. That is the hardest part. All the constant reminders. People's comments saying, say unknowingly, and then you watch your spouse struggle at times, even question if it is all worth it. I don't remember the details of the evangelist sermon, but during the altar call, I went to another brother in the church, Chris Kahn, who had been praying for his son's return to God. I went and prayed with him, proclaiming to God that I did not want our unconceived child until his son was in church. It was with great joy that I could say Colton sits here today. <laughs> Colton's return to God correlates with surgery number two, with a new doctor. Once again, cleaned out, everything tested good, and told the next six months are our best option, next best chance. I seriously thought it was this was going to be it. I had stepped out in faith faith to pray with another brother in a very bold way, and those prayers were answered. All the doors were open, but those months came and went. This left us with few options, either keep trying naturally, IUI, IVF adoption, or live in our lives without a child. However, we had this underlying issue that we could not just leave untreated, and all real treatment options make conceiving difficult or impossible. After a while, we tried IUI a few times. Doctors were confident it would work. Obviously, it did not. We never wanted to do the IVF route, leaving us with adoption or moving on. While adoption is an option, it is very costly and an arduous process. And around this time, I personally was starting to get exhausted with this whole process. 
I either wanted God to bless us the child or close the door so we can heal and move on. Decisions had been made through our entire marriage around the future with a child that had not come. We kept our expenses down, held off on several things. I simply wanted to stop being in limbo and move on with one direction or another. In March of last year, shortly after another failed IUI, my aunt called, which never happens. I just don't have that relationship with my extended family um, for a chit-chat call. Um, it turns out my cousin, her daughter, was pregnant. This cousin was not in a good spot in her life. Currently living with her boyfriend's mom's house, sleeping on her couch with two other children she already struggled financially with. My aunt convinced her that she should give it up for adoption and was asking us if we would be willing to adopt. This was an answered prayer. This took out all the issues I had with the adoption process. We informed her we would think and pray about it and get back to her. However, we quickly already knew our answer was yes. Once again, though, the door was closed as we got a call the very next day that she had miscarried. Honestly, this is where the story ends for now. Over the last year, we've been trying to balance that line between being able to get pregnant but yet keep the medical issue under control. But as the symptoms have progressively gotten worse, we have had to move on and get it under control. Regardless, though, I personally, I do have snot, so we're gonna take care of that. <sighs> da, 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 da. Regardless, though, personally, I still have moments of grief. Even just a few months ago, I saw a video of a lady just doing a goofy dance with her father. Nothing special. However, it hit me hard. I may never have that. Seeing them graduate, getting them getting married, being grandparents, having anyone go through our photos and memories when we pass. While I feel blessed that this door has not been fully closed, we must face the reality it may never open. There have been a few testimonies of child loss in some way or another, and I feel for every one of them. Living for God does not make all your struggles go away. In some ways, you end up with more questions than answers because of it. The doctors say this medical issue can cause infertility. If I did not know God, that would be my answer. However, because I do know him, I'm left with the question of why not God? As most of you are aware, I am a very logical and analytical person. I believe everything has an ultimate answer, whether it's scientifically yet to be discovered or spiritually. However, sometimes even I must put something in the God only knows category. I don't like that category. No matter what the end journey looks like for us um, or any future trials to come, I have the blessing to know that I serve a living God, one that has shown me more compassion and grace than I ever deserve. Since I know my God, that ultimately leaves me with two choices, either trust in him with all my mind, body, or soul, or knowingly walk away. And that simply just is not an option for me. Sister Kara is coming. I, I just want to say, and, and I please know every testimony, including the two that are about to come and the rest of this month, hearing them, and, and I know some of the parts of them, I know some of the details, but I don't know all of the details. And I just want you to know, every time I hear them, it just, I love this church more and more and more. I mean that. It's an honor to serve as your pastor and uh, you know, so thank you for that. Hey, Mrs. Jacara, come in Jesus' name. My hands are shaking, so I'm going to hold the mic very tightly. <laughs> I was raised Catholic. For my family, this meant we would go to church on Sundays, that I was baptized as a baby with the sprinkling of water on my head. 
that I receive Holy Communion and I participate in the sacrament of confirmation. This was the extent of my relationship with God. Going to school was fairly easy for me that I remember until junior high and high school. I would call my mom from school not feeling well to the point that she would have to come pick me up. This continued until I went to the doctor and was put on medicine to help control the pain. I also struggled with comprehension, which was quite difficult for me. Either my grades would show it, or I would struggle with book assignments to the point of defeat and tears. After school, I started working at Hy-Vee, where I met my boyfriend at the time. That turned into a six-year relationship. School had proven to be hard for me, and my self-motivation to pursue college just was not there. So this relationship took up the majority of my time, because we would see each other every day. My friends were his friends, and partying and drinking on the weekends was a weekly occurrence. Time marches on, and my boyfriend decided he wanted to go to college, which meant he would move away. This was hard, as we invested so much time together. We tried to make the long-distance thing work. However, our relationship went sour. We were attending a night out with friends and drinking, which led to a poor decision on his end that ended our relationship for good. I felt rejected and betrayed, and his friends were my friends, so I lost him and my friends in one night. Things at home weren't the greatest. Listening to constant arguing and screaming matches between family members was normal. My aunt decided to ask my mom if I could come live with her for a while to help me get out on my own. I look back now, and that was a turning point for me. I eventually moved out on my own, having two jobs, but still no friends but I must have been okay with it. Little did I know that lack of self-confidence, rejection, and trust issues would affect me so much. I pursued my, relationship with ca I pursued my relationships with caution. My defenses and guards were up, and I was on the lookout for every potential hurt. You're too tall, you're so skinny, you're so emotional, you cry a lot. These words penetrated more than I thought into my hurting soul. I eventually met Donnie, and there was something different about him that I could not explain. But even this relationship, I pursued with caution. I came to him with a lot of emotional baggage, but he loved me through it. Time passes on, and we end up at the Church of Omaha, only because his mom had attended years ago, and he didn't want to get married Catholic, and I was okay with that, because I hadn't been to church in years. We were taught a Bible study, which turned, to a, which turned into a 12-week Bible study, which led me to be baptized in Jesus' name and in the receiving of the Holy Ghost. We got married at the Church of Omaha, and I began to open up to people, even though trust issues were still there, but life was going wonderful. Donnie and I became greeters. He moved into media ministry, and I moved into Sunday school. Time passes again, and I begin to not feel well. Little did I know that this time the road would lead down to infertility. A hard, bitter road, an exhausting road, and a lonely road. Our life looked different from our friends. I looked fine on the outside to most people, but the comments and suggestions over time sank deeper than I knew. Maybe you're too skinny, maybe you're too emotional, you're too stressed, maybe this or that. Rejection, sadness, and depression, and anxiety became all too familiar. I didn't know how to approach God with so much grief and so much inadequacy. 
Grief ate away at my joy, but I was so tired physically, mentally, and spiritually that heart issues were left unchecked. I became aware of this in prayer. I forgave those that hurt me, I forgave myself, and I forgave God. I thought, surely I will be healed, surely we will be with child soon, but here we are, barren. Do I have hidden sin, God? Why are we still in this place? I have endured through broken relationships, hurtful comments, the sting of desiring to be healed, disappointments, and the grit and sand of life that tries to wear away at my very walk with God. But I choose to remember where he brought me from. It's only by the grace and mercy of God that I am giving this testimony today. I don't know what this journey will look like for us in the end, but I know that God has never left us and God will never leave Donnie and I. And amen. Brother Chris is coming. Amen. Aren't these wonderful testimonies? Hallelujah. God is so good. Come on, clap your hands again and bless the Lord just a moment. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord, everybody. Ooh, that's loud up here, huh? <laughs> you know, I can't be given the opportunity to testify and not testify about what God's done in my family. You know, it's just awesome. Every week that we get to come here, week after week, and look at our family. You know, if you see Crane in the back crying, it's not because there's stuff bad going on in her life. It's because she's looking around, she's seeing our kids, and they're worshiping God. And I just want to praise God that today, that my kids and their families are living for God. But I also want to thank him for keeping them through the trials of tomorrow. Amen? Amen. My wife, I just thank God for her. You know, many of you may not know this, but she's lived for God a whole lot longer than I have. Her and my kids, Brother Donnie, her and my kids prayed for me for seven years that I would have a heart changed, that I would come to God. That's in my notes. You can come look at it if you want to. I'm not saying you guys are going to have a kid. I'm just saying it's just God works, you know. But anyway, seven years she prayed for me. Seven years they prayed. Finally, when I came to God, I started reading the word. And I was at, at work one day, and I'm reading. And this is before cell phones. And I'm reading, and I come across 1 Peter chapter 3. And I, like, run into the office, and I pick up the phone, and I call her up, and I said, Hey, this is what I just read. If you guys know what it says in 1 Peter chapter 3, it's all talking about a wife and how her chaste behavior can win the soul of her husband. And I'm telling you, that was, that was my wife. Brother Powell, I know you don't like people reading out of books that are not the Bible in church, but would it be okay if I read this book? All right. This may seem a little weird to you guys, but I'm going to read this bye-bye pacifier book, all right? You'll understand why later. I started out using a pacifier when I was a tiny baby. Whenever I felt upset or cranky, sucking on my pacifier made me feel better. Whenever I was sleepy, my pacifier would be there. Every, even when I got older, I still liked my pacifier. Of course, it wasn't easy to talk with it in my mouth. And sometimes it would fall into the sand. Yuck. One day, Nanny said, Piggy, you're too old for that pacifier. Why don't we put it away? I was not happy. Nanny gave it back. You can all imagine. 
But I know Nanny was right. I was too old. Not one of my friends had a pacifier anymore. And to tell you the truth, it made me feel a little silly. So, bye-bye pacifier. It's been nice, but now I'm taking good advice. Bye-bye needing you each day. It's time to go out and play. You used to help me, but I have grown, and I can do things on my own. There are still times when I need my pacifier, when then I take a deep breath and find something interesting to do because I'm big now, just like you, and big kids don't need pacifiers. That's good preaching. If you think about it, that's good preaching. All right. I, I, I just I want to tell you guys, the people that have shared testimonies here, Man, I'm telling you, it, it has touched my heart. And I know that it's touched other people in this church. But to, from my perspective, there's been one thing that, that's stuck out in my mind that, is, that has happened. A lot of these things stem from things that had happened when the, people were young children. It, and, and, and it's no surprise. In, in Mark chapter um, 9, Jesus comes to a man that his son was being tormented by a demon. And he says, how long has this been going on? And the father responded, he said, ever since he was a child, this has been happening. And as Holy Ghost-filled people of God, we need to be praying and fasting that those things stop attacking our kids. We need to break that chain. We need to break that bondage. We need to break the power of Satan that is trying to attack our children, trying to steal their youth, trying to steal their praise to him. I need to calm down. <laughs> Me personally, I was exposed to sexual activity at the age of three, pornography at five, tobacco and alcohol at six, got high for the first time when I was eight. By the age of 14, I was having sex, viewing pornography, drinking alcohol, smoking pot and cigarettes on a regular basis. By 17, I started using crack cocaine, taking LSD, and crank. By the time I was 18, I was shooting crystal meth. And all the time that I'm doing this, preparing this, this testimony, and I, I want to apologize before I go any further, I just want to apologize because I'm 50 years old, I got a lot to testify about. All right? But anyway, while, I, while, I'm, or while I'm preparing this, this song keeps going through my mind. And I'm going to attempt to sing it. I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, about his precious blood atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the victory. Oh, the victories in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath that cleansing flood. I'll tell you what, I'm so thankful that I heard that story. I'm so thankful that I heard the story of God. Oh, I praise him. And I assume that every one of you do too. But 
Brother Powell, no offense to you, no offense to the ministers of this church, but hearing that story was not enough for me. Hearing that story was not enough for me. See, I don't know if you guys know this, but I'm a pastor's kid. I grew up in a church, and my dad preached that old story, but his version of that old story was a little different than what we preach. If I would have just simply listened to my dad's version of that story, you know what? I'd have never been baptized in Jesus' name, just like it talks about in Acts 2.38, Acts 8.16, Acts 10.48, Acts 19.5. Just like the Apostle Paul said in 1 Corinthians, he said there's no other name to be baptized in. He taught that. The Bible teaches that. But yet if I'd have just continued to listen to my dad, I would have never come to that. If I'd have just heard his words, my dad also fervently preached against the baptism of the Holy Ghost. He insisted two things were possible. Either you was faking it or you was demonically possessed. And most likely you was faking it. But that isn't what the Bible says. The Bible says in Acts 2.4, Acts 10.46, Acts 11.15, Acts 19.16, that we will speak in tongues when we are baptized with the Holy Ghost. And you know what? The promise is for you and unto your children and all that are far off, as many as the Lord our God shall call. So that means me today and you today can receive the baptism. And Kyle, too, today, you today can receive the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Amen? Amen. And I'll tell you what, that isn't even saying nothing about the Trinity. See, ever since I was a child, it was taught into my head that there's, there's three gods. And I'm here to tell you, that doesn't line up with what the Scripture says. Oh, no, it doesn't. Jesus himself said in Revelations 22:13, I am the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning and the end, the first and the last. Oh, hallelujah. Hallelujah. I think he's one God. Genesis 2:7 says, And the Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living soul. I know. You guys are thinking, Brother Chris... Where do you get oneness out of this scripture? It doesn't say there's one God. But let me explain to you. See that word Lord right there? That word Lord, Brother Powell? That word Lord? You know what that means? It's Jehovah. You know what Jehovah means? It means the self-existent. So let me reread that scripture to you. And the self-existent God formed man out of the dust of the earth. Self-existent God. The prophet Isaiah, this is what he had to say about it. He said, I am the Lord, or I am the self-existent, and there is none else. There is no God besides me in Isaiah 45.5. That word Jehovah, or self-existent, that occurs in the Bible 6,519 times. That's not to mention all the plethora of other verses that just simply say that he is one. So how in the world can this trinity exist? You're never going to convince me that there is a trinity. There is one God, and his name is Jesus. And he is to be praised. He is to be given glory. He is to be given honor. Amen? Amen. My point in saying all this, my point in saying all this is that you cannot simply rely on what somebody else tells you that the Word of God says. You need to dig into the Word. You need to get into it. You need to read it. You need to study it. You need to comprehend it. But you know what? That's where it became a problem for me. Because all the way through my childhood, all the way through my 20s, I couldn't read this book. Literally could not read this book. I remember my kids coming to me and saying, Dad, read this book to me. 
So you know what I would do? I'd open up the pages. I would look at the pictures and I would fake it. I would read from the pictures because I couldn't. Yeah, yeah, I might have been able to struggle through reading those words, but not to the point that they would have sat there and wanted to listen. And this, this developed a hatred because that I could not read all of my life. It developed a hatred towards God because of it. My first remembrance of, of this, this happening to me, this hatred towards God, and I realized that I had this reading problem was when I was in first grade. I was attending this small Christian school, and in first grade, the teacher realized, hey, there's something wrong with this kid. He ain't where the rest of his classmates are. We need to do something. So she came up with this plan. Her plan? Send me back to the kindergarten room for an hour a day to get the things that I missed. Do you know how humiliating that was as a first grader to have to be sent back into the kindergarten room? It was humiliating. And that was just one little thing that pulled me away from God that I didn't understand. In fourth grade, we moved to Gillette, Wyoming. Started another school. It was another Christian school. Right away, the teacher in that school realized, hey, there's something wrong with this kid. There's something wrong with him. He can't read. So she went and talked to the principal and said, we got to come up with a plan. we got to do something. This kid, we need to help this kid. He's missing something. We need to help him get to where he needs to be. So they come up with this plan. You know what the plan was? Send me back to the kindergarten room for an hour a day. And I'm telling you what, you want to talk about being humiliated when I was in first grade? Think about being in fourth grade and having to go back to that kindergarten room for an hour a day to get what I missed. And worst thing, it didn't work. It didn't work the first time. It didn't work the second time. Sixth grade rolls around. By this time, my parents had moved again, enrolled me into a public school system. Right away, they diagnosed me with dyslexia. And I thought, yes, finally, professionals, true professionals, they're going to help me get the things that I need. But you know what? It didn't help either. But they did come up with a plan. It wasn't send me back to the kindergarten, thankfully. Their plan was to send me to the resource room, or as some of my peers at the time like to refer to it, the retard room, for an hour a day so I could get the things that I'd missed so that I would be able to, to, to read and succeed at those things. But that didn't work either. And I truly believe, I truly believe that had I not dropped out of school, this is what they would do in the resource room. I'd go there, they'd, hour a day, they'd help me to read. And then when I had tests to take in other classes, they would say, go ahead, go to the resource room. The teacher will read you the questions. If you answer the questions right, we're going to pass you on. We're going to pass you along. I truly believe, had I not dropped out in 11th grade, I would have graduated from high school not being able to read this book right here. Hmm. Amen. All, all that childhood of feeling that humiliation, being laughed at, being picked on, being ridiculed by my peers because I couldn't read. And it just kept on tugging at me, despising God. And that's probably some of the reasons that I started doing drugs. That's some of the reasons why I started drinking alcohol. That's some of the reasons why I engaged in the things that I was engaged in. Well, when I was about 18, I finally had enough. I was disgusted with my lifestyle. I was disgusted with the friends that I was hanging out with. I was addicted to alcohol. I was addicted to drugs. I was addicted to pornography. I was addicted to all these things of the world. And I, I, I was frustrated. 
One night I remember kneeling down beside my bed and praying out to God, and I bore it all before God. And I, I, I begged him, I said, you got to take these things away from me. I need deliverance, I need healing, I need forgiveness. And after that time of repentance, I did what I thought I needed to do. I went over and I picked up my Bible, and I opened it up, and I started to read. It didn't work. I couldn't instantly read. I got infuriated with God, and I threw that Bible across the room, and I made a de declaration to God. I looked, I looked towards him, and I said, God, I will never worship you. I will never live for you. I will never serve you. I will never pray to you. I will never give you glory. I will never give you honor. Then I physically turned the other direction. I said, Satan, I'm now living for you. I'm going to give you glory. I'm going to give you honor. I'm going to give you praise. I pledge my allegiance to you now, Satan. I knew one person from my past that claimed that they worshiped Satan, claimed that they, they lived for him. So I called their name out to Satan. I said, Satan, get me back in contact with that person if you can so they can teach me how to live for you, so they can teach me what I need to do to bring glory and honor to your name. Well, in a week's time, literally in a week's time, I was driving a car that broke down on the side of the road. The car had plates on it that were expired. A cop stopped to help, see if I needed any help, seeing that the plates were expired, ran my driver's license and everything like that, found out I had a warrant out for my arrest. I was arrested, taken to jail. Spent a couple days in jail trying to get bonded out. Well, nobody, nobody I knew was gonna bond me out. Nobody I knew was gonna forfeit any of their money to get me out. So. They called to, to, this was in Casper, Wyoming. They called to Newcastle, Wyoming, where the, the warrant was issued at and said, you guys can come get him. So they sent a, a deputy up to get me. All strung out on drugs. Lifestyle, hair was down to the back, middle of my back. And by the time the cop got there, it was later in the afternoon. So, so we had a 170-mile trip to get back to Newcastle. So we had to stop off and get something to eat. And I remember going into this, this restaurant, orange jumpsuit, chains on my feet, a belt around my waist with my hands handcuffed to it, walking into this restaurant. You can imagine the looks I was getting from the people there, you know? But I didn't care. Matter of fact, I specifically remember cursing them in the name of Satan. Because I thought, wow, I'm big and bold now. I'm living for Satan. Nobody can touch me. So I thought... Well, finally got back to, to Newcastle where I spent a couple more days in jail and the public attorney defendant come in and said, hey, we're going to go to court now. And so we walked across the street where the courthouse was at and go in there and the, the judge that it had issued the bench warrant for me was actually on vacation. There was another judge from another town came over to sit in his place to pass judgment on me. So I get in the court and he goes, Mr. Khan, how long have you been in jail? I said, a week? He said, a full week? I said, yeah. He says, have you been into court yet? I said, no. Slammed his gavel down, said, $21 court fee, case dismissed. I'm like, what in the world just happened? So I'm walking out, and the, I, I asked my attorney, I said, what just happened? He said, well, they have to get you into court 
within a certain amount of time from your arrest. Otherwise, if they don't, they have to let you go and they have to drop all charges. So I got off on a technicality. But you know what my thought was? My thought was, thank you, Satan. Oh, yes, God, I prayed to him. He couldn't do nothing. I cried out to God. He couldn't help me at all. But, man, I prayed to Satan. Within a week, I don't have a warrant out for my arrest. I'm not around the friends that I was around. And better yet, Newcastle, Wyoming, where was, the, where was the city where the individual that I'd specifically prayed for, that's where that individual lived at. So I got out of jail. I sought that person out. And for the next few years, me and this person lived for and worshipped Satan together. But a few years down the road, she came to me and she said, you know what? I'm giving my heart to God. I'm tired of living this way. And it ticked me off. It made me so mad. Oh, I was furious with God because once again, he had destroyed something that I was building up. Once again, he inter intervened in my life and I was mad. Especially because now this person was my wife. Yeah, that's right. I had to get her in there. See, she did live for God a lot longer than I did. But she has a past, too, and hopefully someday she'll testify about her past. Amen? But anyway, I was furious with God because he had taken my wife away from me. Or that's what I felt at the time. I was furious with her. So she starts going to church and everything, and I made it my purpose in life to persecute her. I hated God. I was brought up in a church. I hated the things of God. I hated hearing about God. I hated everything about him. So every chance I got to, to make it difficult for her to go to church, to worship God, I thought it was my duty as a good Satanist to persecute her and make it difficult for her. But she continued to go. She continued to pray. She continued to seek God. One day, she called me from, from church, and she said, hey, the pastor and his wife want to know if you'd be willing to go out to lunch with them. I really wanted to explode. I did. But for some reason that day, I didn't. I said, yeah, that's fine. But I want you to tell them that if they mention God one time, one time if they mention God, literally I will get up and walk out of that restaurant and leave you sitting there. And I'm here to tell you, for seven years, for seven years, that man was my friend. For seven years... We developed a relationship. For seven years, not one time did he ever mention God to me. He respected the way I felt. And he respected his God enough to know that when the time was right, God would open the door. Sometimes we got to wait, church. Sometimes we got to wait. Well, after seven years... There's a knock on the door. I'm down in my basement watching football for some reason. If Those of you that know me, I'm not even a sports enthusiast. While I was in the basement watching football, I don't know. But anyway, he knocks on the door. He comes down, and this is what he says to me. He says, Chris, I've respected you for all these years. I know what you asked of me, but I'm here to tell you, God told me tonight to come over to your house and challenge you. To challenge you. Over the next month, read the New Testament. He didn't know I had a reading problem. 
He didn't know that my hatred to God stemmed from reading the Word of God and not being able to read the Word of God. He didn't know those things, but God did. God knew those things. Well, I explained to him. I said, I can't. I can barely read. There's no way that I can get through the New Testament in the next month. He said, well, I'll tell you what. Start in the book of Matthew. Read as much as you can. I'll come back in a month, and we'll discuss what you read. And he left. You know, at this time, I really believe that God was already working on my heart. Why was I in the basement watching football that I don't even like? Because I was down there thinking about life. I was down there thinking about my choices in life. I was thinking about the things that were going on. Well, I'm here to tell you, church, over the next month, all hell broke free in my life. My dad died. The engine blew up in my truck. The sewer collapsed under my driveway. I got in a huge fight with my brother. But even all th through all those things going on, I still continued to struggle to read through the book of Matthew as much as I could. And there was this peace that was with me that I never experienced in my life. So I continued to read. When I started going back to church, I thought it was my job to go to the church that I was brought up in. I kind of forced my wife. I didn't force her. I said, my kids are going to church with me. I don't care where you go, but they're going to where it's right. That was the kind of bullheaded attitude I had at the time. You know what she did? She didn't say nothing. She said, okay, I'll go to church with you, and we'll go to church as a family, taking our kids to church. That's the kind of woman she is. But anyway, so we started going to, to the church that I was brought up in, but I continued to... to struggle through reading. We lived in Fremont at the time and I worked in Omaha. So every day, every day I would take advantage of that drive. And I would stick a cassette in the cassette player in my car and every day I would listen to the Bible. All the way to work and all the way back home. All the way to work and all the way back home. I would listen to the Word of God. I wasn't truly able to read all of it yet, but I was still getting it into me. I was still getting into me. So somewhere along the line, I was, I was reading and listening and found out that, you know what? The things that my dad taught, they don't line up with what the scripture says. And no disrespect to my dad. I'm thankful for the Christian upbringing that I've had. I'm thankful that my parents sought God. I'm thankful for those things. But I'm also thankful for one thing that my dad always taught. He said, he told all of us, he had six kids, he told us all, he said, if you're reading the word of God, and my word contradicts the word of God, the word of God is true. Do what the word of God says. And that's, so that's what we did. I had to make that choice. Am I going to follow what my dad did, or am I going to follow the word of God? So we found a church that taught the things that I was finding in the word of God. In 2001, we was attending the Fremont UPC, and the pastor, Roger Wagner at the time, stood up one Sunday morning, and he said, everybody that will commit to reading the Bible, the entire Bible, over the next year, please stand. Brother Lucas, it was like Jesus translated me up out of that pew, and I was standing on my feet, and I'm like, what am I doing here? Why am I standing? There's no way I can read through the Bible in a year. But you know what I did? I just kept my mouth shut, and I stood there in faith, saying, you know what? I'm going to do this. I'm going to dedicate my time. I'm going to dedicate myself to struggling through this and reading it. In the back of my Bible was a chart for reading through the Bible in a year. 
So every day, I'd get in there and I would read what it said to read for that day, and I'd mark it off. I'd mark it off. And I would spend hours and hours a day reading the Word of God so that I could keep up with my chart. Because that's the determination I had because I felt it so necessary to get the Word of God into my heart. Even though it was a struggle for me, I felt it was necessary for me to read it and get it into me. Well, got close to the end of the year, nine months in, and I'm starting to realize, wait a minute here. I'm almost done reading. What is going on here? I, I'm not ahead on my chart. What's going on? So I flipped to the back of my Bible and I opened it up. I'd never read the heading on the top of that chart. You know what it said? It said, read the entire Bible in a year and the New Testament twice. So in nine months, I read the entire New King James Version of the Bible. In nine months, I could barely read this book right here. But God, but God helped me to read through the Word of God in nine months when I could barely read it all. Amen? After 30 years of being on this earth, I finally read the first book I'd ever read in my entire life. Amen. God is awesome. God is awesome. So, and oh, by the way, I forgot to mention it. Satan didn't answer no prayers earlier. Satan didn't know who to get me back in contact with. Satan didn't know nothing. God knew. God knew what I needed. God orchestrated things. God put things in order. God planned the things. God ordains the steps of a righteous man. And I ain't saying I'm a righteous man. But you know what? God has ordained some of my steps. Amen? Amen. I thank God for that. In 2004, I determined in my heart that I was going to read through the Bible again from front to back. This time, I read the New American Standard Version of the Bible. In 2008, I said, you know what? I've never read the entire King James Version of the Bible. I want to read that. So I started praying about it. In 2008, God said, Chris, do you remember when you could barely read and you read through the entire Bible in nine months? I said, yeah. He said, I want you to read through this Bible in three months. I want you to take what was left over here, and I want you to read through this Bible in three months you know what? Praise God. The third book that I ever read in my entire life was the King James Version of the Bible, and I read it in three months. Three months. You cannot tell me that God does not work. You cannot tell me that God does not provide. You cannot tell me that God does not have our best interest at heart. Amen? Amen. 2014, we started attending the Church of Omaha. Well, you can all imagine what the next version of the Bible I read was. That's right, it was the ESV. Amen? All, all of you that have been here for longer than a, a year, you know the story behind that. But anyway, to this day, to this day, I still don't read very good. It was still a struggle for me to read through that. I did pretty good, but it was still a struggle for me. I took a test, I, I took a test before I, I got up here to do this. 50 words a minute is what I read with decent comprehension. 50 words a minute, okay? The average adult reads 200 to 250 words a minute. The average second grader reads 72 words a minute. I can't even read. At this point in my life, I can't even read as good as a second grader can. But you know what? 
You know what? I've read this at least four times. And I'm telling you, if somebody that can barely read can read through this four times, I encourage you, get out your Bible. Read it. Study it. Don't be deceived by somebody telling you what their opinion of it is. Get it out. Open it up. Study it. Get it into your heart. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Jesus. Praise God. I am so thankful that God has worked in my life the way that he has. I'm so thankful. When I prayed back there when I was 18, I was ignorant. I was foolish. I wanted the easy way out. I thought God's just going to miraculously heal me. I'm going to be able to read his word. All my problems in life are going to be gone. That ain't how it works. Brother Lucas, things that are worth it, things that are worth value, Take work, and it's worth every bit of the work that you put into it. Every hour that I've spent reading the Word of God has been worth it. Every single thing. You all have heard my kids' testimony. You've heard the struggles that they've went through. As a parent, I didn't understand. At the time, I didn't know what went on, was going on in their life. All I knew is they was rebelling against us. They was rebelling against God. I didn't understand. But it was the word of God, the encouragement of the word of God. And, and scriptures like Psalm 61 that says, hear my cry, O God. Attend unto my prayer. From the ends of the earth will I cry unto you. Lead me to the rock that is higher than I. And I might have misquoted that. And if I did, I'm glad the Bible quizzers ain't here. Amen. But anyway. Then, then when I found out what had happened to my kids... I was furious with the individuals that had done this to my kids. I was furious with God for allowing this to happen to my kids. But unlike when I was a teenager, I didn't turn my back on God. I continued to seek him. I didn't say I'm not going to seek you anymore. I continued to seek him. I didn't say I'm not going to pray to you anymore. I continued to pray, for, pray to him. God. God is able. God is able to do exceedingly and abundantly above all. Amen? Amen. Again, I apologize for, for being so long here. I started off singing that song. I heard an old story. I heard an old story. The next verse, if I was to change a little bit, I could now say, I read about his healing, about his cleansing power revealing, how he made the lame to walk again and caused the blind to see. And then I cried, dear Jesus, come and heal my broken spirit. And somehow Jesus came and brought to me the victory. Oh, the victories in Jesus, my Savior forever. He sought me and he bought me with his redeeming blood. He loved me ere I knew him, and all my love is due him. He plunged me to victory beneath that cleansing flood. I hope, I hope that my testimony has encouraged somebody to get into the Word, read the Word, study the Word. Glory, glory. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen. Isn't it wonderful what God has done and is doing, amen, all over this church? Can we just thank Him together right now? Come on. 
Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Amen and amen and amen. This certainly builds our faith. Praise God, praise God. I want to just uh, uh, wrap this day up by sharing with you something uh, today. I, I was going to have the praise team sing a new name written out in glory, but I think we've had a, a good song already. So, amen. But, but y'all know that song, and, and we've sung it. Our praise team does a great job with it. And how many of you are thankful he's written your name in glory? Right? But here's something I, I wanted to share with you. Um, today I kept calling him Saul, a couple times Paul. And I used to believe, and even had preached, that God had changed his name. But there's not a single book, chapter, or verse that records that. In fact, as I pointed out, before he's baptized, Ananias calls him Brother Saul. So I begin to dig deeper and say, okay, well, God, if, if you didn't change his name, and I've said this, what's the, what, why, why is it Paul? Well, Paul is the Roman pronunciation of Saul, which is a Hebrew name. So because he was the apostle to the Gentiles, i.e. the Romans and others, he used his Gentile name, Paul. And this is what God spoke to me when he shared this with me. Your name may still be the same as mine is Myron. It may be the same name as you just heard of an 18-year-old that pledged his allegiance to Satan but now serves the one true God. It's still the same Chris. But what's different is this. If you're born again, or on your way to being born again, it's not Chris, it's Brother Chris. This morning, on the way to church, it wasn't just Kyle. It was Brother Kyle. Amen. And so if you're born again, brother or sister, Amen. God has changed your name in that He's written it in glory. But your name might be the same, but it doesn't mean your sin is the same. You're not a sinner. You're a sanctified saint. Yeah. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. You may remember what you did, but the Bible says He chooses not to remember our sins against us. With that, can we stand today? I want to remind everybody here present and online, you can be delivered. You can be set free. You can be healed. I want to remind everybody whether or not you're a part of the ones who have or will testify, you can have a personal testimony of what God has done in your life. Amen. I want us to lift our hands together and thank God today for reminding us that He's a God of love. That even though through our struggles, Jesus, thank You that You guide our steps. Thank You that through our pain, You're bringing out Your purpose. And thank You for leading us to Your love and mercy and taking our turmoil and turning it into a beautiful testimony. And exchanging our hurt, oh God, for Your healing and exchanging our sin for Your salvation, Lord. Thank You for taking our depression and giving us deliverance. And thank You, God, for taking our bondage and blessing us with freedom. God, we praise You today. We love You today. We glorify You today. We magnify you today. Glory!
Hallelujah. Hallelujah. How many of you have victory in Jesus today? How many of you are going to leave here victorious in Jesus today? Borrowing from our testimonies, how many of you are going to persevere through your pain today? One more question. How many of you are going to read the Bible? Minister Kennedy told me about a month ago, we were in the truck, he reaches into his bag and he pulls out a Bible and he hands it, he says, here's my Bible. And I said, oh, that's nice, love it. If you don't know, Kennedy's blind, he can't see yet. And he says, he says, ask me, Bishop, why I carry a Bible. And I said, why are you carrying a Bible? He says, because when I see, the first thing I want to read is my Bible. If a blind man loves his Bible that much, and a man that has a hard time reading loves his Bible that much, you don't have an excuse why you can't read your Bible and love it and live it. So I want to know how many are going to take hold of the Word of God and read it. Glory! Glory! In the name of Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen and amen. Well, the Lord bless you richly and abundantly. Let's leave in faith. Let's walk in faith. And let's come back the next time in greater faith. What do you say? Amen. God bless you in Jesus' name.